Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing chapters 12 and 13 of The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. We're starting part two, wherein the, the king and all his buddies go on a hunt, and it doesn't exactly go to plan. So I'm I'm Data, and with me this week is... Jack. Danny. And Joe. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. So yeah, we got two additional chapters. We have two new viewpoint characters in these two chapters. And uh, also, I'm sure you guys noticed the epigraphs have changed a little bit from what we had been getting in part one. So what did you guys think of these two chapters? I mean, it's quite easy just to, you know, going going through my heart, a kaiju battle is a surefire way to do that. <laughs> so uh, as soon as we had a giant monster burst out of the ground and they're all fighting and I'm just like, I was in my happy place when that was going on. For the chap- chapters as a whole, I quite enjoyed like meeting our new characters. I think as Adolin, 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 yeah, yeah. Like, he he seems interesting, but I really like Dalinar. I know, like we met him once before while he was passed out on the floor. <laughs> so the what we see here was very much not the what the picture I had in my head was going to be, but I liked the character that we got. I think he's really interesting, so I look forward to more with him and. Yeah, like we've heard a lot about Sadius previously in the book, so it's nice to meet him, even if he's a colossal dick. <laughs> and and this this one like random character just showed up for a page, did very little, and then walked off. But he like, intrigued me. This King's Wit fella. Mm-hmm. He some something about him like he's he's blue eyed, but he's not a bright eyes. I'm just like, wait, what is he? Something about this guy grabbed my attention. And I don't quite know why, but I'm just like, all right, I feel like you're going to be important. So we'll see how that goes. I feel like the chapter or this, that section of the chapter is definitely designed to be like, hey, hey, isn't this guy weird and interesting? Pay attention to him for a minute. And then he walks off before you get too much of him. So it's just like I think it's designed to make, OK, I need to know more about this guy. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yes, I would like to know more. <laughs> it's just a fun, a fun position. It's like, yeah, the king is too important to insult people. So he has a guy to do that for him. I'd take yeah. that job. I mean, it seems like the king's jester without the tomfoolery around it. Yeah, exactly. I also like about the king's wit. It's kind of like, oh, oh no, I didn't say that. The king's wit said that. It's kind of a like a little. If 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 he says something that you know you'd be mad at the king for saying, it's a nice little. I didn't say that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. So these two chapters, starting a new part, felt very much like starting a new book to me, with all the names and the people and the oh my god, what the hell's going on. By the end of chapter 12, I was kind of like, well, not not quite the end of chapter 12, but like this is going on for a really long time. This is really dragging, and I'm kind of over these people already. And then we got a cool battle, which was really cool. Every time we started like hearing more about this monster 
my the mental image changed and so I definitely had more like the, the just a big chow in the first thing and then by the end it was like this scorpion crayfish lobster thing that was around with way too many legs and mm-hmm. it was just kind of fun pulling that all together and it was nice to see the shard blades and shard plates in action and you know obviously the the weaving of of the characters and the storytelling that happened in chapter 12 kind of paid off because I started to care about these people by the time they were in grave peril so that that was that was good yeah now I'm kind of interested to see what happens next with them but that's that's a that's a that's a fun pastime having to hunt these things I'm a bit worried about the king like I I agree with Dak I really like Dalinar I think he's a very interesting and probably complicated character it's it's like hearing from Adeline's view of what people think about him and then hearing him in his own head, like what he's thinking through. It's like, actually, you seem to be a really, a really good guy. And I, I don't know what's happening to you with your episodes, but I hope you're okay. I feel like he'll be a good character to watch. I, I do like what you said. You're like, by the end of chapter 12, it's like, uh, okay, I mean, all these internal monologues about various things and Adolin's upset because people aren't being nice to his dad. I'm getting a little bit, but then it's like, Oh, they're in danger. And because of that information, I now care about them. Okay. No. Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. It was like, if I, if I read those two chapters again, I'd probably be like, Oh, okay. I get it. I think I just spent so much time trying to stitch together who was related to who. And mm. then like how the, how the princes work. And I was like, where are all these princes? Like if, if Sadius, where does he fall in? And then they kind of explained that the princedoms are a little bit different. So, like, yeah, yeah, you've got some people that are actually related to each other, but I don't know how he's actually related. And I don't think he is now after what I've read. But, yeah, I did start to care about them, and, and I, I think I'm starting to piece together the family tree a little bit better. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, you know, we're, we're learning a whole new how this country <laughs> works and royal line and stuff. So, yeah, it, it takes a minute. Yeah, and we and we know it's not a simple trilogy either, so right. You know, not that the others weren't complicated. It's just we know this is huge. But also, too many legs is pretty much exactly the right description for uh, this chasm feeling, <laughs> where it's like fourteen legs, and then apparently like four giant crab claws to smash people with. And then its tail. Like, yeah, and the tail. I'm surprised it only had one. You know, that's <laughs> there should have been too many tails. Also. Oh man, if it was a lobster and it had multiple tails, that would be tasty. I mean, delicious, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess we don't know how these taste. They didn't mention cooking them up, so you feed a lot of people no. off that. I was going to say, it's like there's got to be a lot of meat on that thing. Yeah, you would think. Maybe it doesn't do taste good after you've shard bladed it. <laughs> Gets the flavor right out of it, you know. I I like that moment when they realized, like the child was walking around and there was no bait on the rope, and you just you just knew with the characters. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's about to go down. <laughs> Yeah, perfect, perfect visual for you to know everything has gone horribly wrong. Hey, yeah, I like these chapters. I, I think uh, the I like this section because it's kind of like one bit, like we got a whole portion in one reading. You know, it's like, OK, we get all this exposition background information and then they fight a thing and they win. And you're like, OK, cool. Got that whole piece. I will say I, I agree with Jamie, like the. All, there was a lot of inner monologue, and honestly, I like Dalinar a lot based on what we've 
know about him so far. Um, obviously, he had some major turning point in his priorities when his brother died, which makes complete sense. That'll do it. But I don't like his son Adeline at almost at all. Like, obviously, Adeline's very duty bound and does his job and seems like a good dude. But I don't know. A lot of his internal monologue it seemed really childish to me and maybe that's like part of the development he starts at this point and gets better but yeah like i just i'm not interested in in adeline a lot every time like when the chapter first started and we were getting his perspective i was like man i'd rather hear from from dalinar's perspective and then we got dalinar's perspective and then we went back to adeline's so i was like ah why do we go back <laughs> but yeah i i thought it was good i also enjoyed the wit i have early predict predicament i'll go ahead and just put it out there i think the wit is hoid seems like he seemed really interesting and like they when anybody seems like vague enough that they're kind of like yeah he he looks like this but he doesn't really look like that i'm always like that's gotta be like Hoyt or somebody (laughs) um well interesting you bring that up because i thought could like could it be Hoyd? but then it's like no no this dude's got black hair Hoyd's always had white hair whenever we see him so yeah but he can disguise himself who knows yeah all right yeah fair point head eye is a thing yeah so like i was like ah i bet it's a bit it's Hoyd. And so uh, that's what I think the wit could be. Uh, seems like a good position for Hoyd to insult people. Seems like something he'd like to do. I bet he could do that, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, this beast, cool cool fight. It it reminded me a little bit of the White Sands fight at the beginning, except, you know, there's lots of people fighting the creature as opposed to one person fighting the creature. These gem heart things, that's a whole interesting thing that I'd like to know more about. Uh, it's like the gem heart is inside the creature, but... Is that the only way to get gem hearts? Because I don't know by the description, it almost sounded like the gem hearts might also be in like the giant like rock bits on the shard planes. And maybe that's what they're fighting over there. They're fighting over those gem hearts and those shard shard things. But maybe I'm wrong about that. And uh, yeah, the creature just put me in mind of like uh, there's the fiend in Final Fantasy X that you, you fight to draw out sin on Mushroom Rock Road. That's what like in my head, I saw a bigger version of that fiend that they were fighting because it's got all the legs and it's got the giant pincer claws and it's uh you know it's creepy looking so uh that's kind of what i envisioned so mushroom rock road fiend or excuse me yeah the during the fight check it out final fantasy 10 2001 great great game <laughs> brandon plays that game it's uh it's apparently uh, a favorite yeah. of his. So when did this book come out uh this book came out uh the way it came this is one if Kings came out in 2010, 2010. Yep. Uh, I postulate he stole characteristics of the chasm fiend from <laughs> Final Fantasy 10. He's just going to steal steal wholesale from Final Fantasy 10. I mean, he changed it up a little bit. <laughs> OK, that's OK. Yeah, I, I like this theory. Just shooting out early with the theory that you, I think I think we spotted Hoyd. There he is. I like it. Keep keep that going. We're going to spot Hoyd everywhere. We need to. He needs to do like a Where's Waldo shirt, but with Hoyd. I feel like that is a good plan, but it's like too few and far in between for it to be like a segment. Where's Hoyd? <laughs> he's in this one chapter of the book. Oh, he's in this second. Is Dalinar Hoyd? Maybe. No, no way. <laughs> no like way. Hoyd is, uh, Hoyd is uh, uh, disguised himself as uh, Yasna Colin. Ooh, <laughs> that'd be crazy yeah you know that would be kind of interesting like you know hoyt's running around we we have postulated that he's running around like gathering bits of like cosmere power from different planets from different shards like if he was here to get shard plate and a sword that'd be pretty crazy yeah be walking around all all knighted up i mean we 
you imagine like if he'd had those abilities before like we see Dalinar in his shard plate like a giant lobster claw coming for him and he just fucking stops it yep like can you imagine just, like Kelsier in the well if if Hoyt had a shard had shard plate at that time and Kelsey just tries to hit him and like already Kelsey got his ass kicked but but Hoyt would have just caught his fist and just gone no and flicked him <laughs> across the room classic Hoyt just dominating people physically is what we would be saying if he had that. Okay, let's let's get into these chapters. The chapter 12 is called Unity, and we've mixed it up a little bit. We've got a new symbol uh, in the middle, and we've also the the arch thing now has two faces instead of like one face repeated four times. So, ooh la la. And the new epigraph it does not seem to any longer be people's dying words. This says, old friend, I hope this missive finds you well, though as you're now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. And that's that's the piece that we get of that. Hi, friend Hoyd. How dare you steal my powers and my sword? <laughs> we start with King Elokar. He's like, it's a good day to slay a god, wouldn't you say? And Sadius is there smiling. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. As a rule, one might say that gods should fear the Alethi nobility. Most of us, at least. Total it, fucking Jason Isaacs role right here. It so is, right? Except for the fact that he's described as, like, red-faced and bulbous. Yeah. You know, I missed that part of his description. Okay. Hmm. I'll reevaluate. Yeah, we, we, we'll get there in a minute, probably. Adolin is instantly grumpy about this and is, like, gripping his reins tightly. And his brother, Renarin, is like, oh, man, do we have to be up here with them? I don't like the way you get when you're around Sadius. There's a thousand soldiers in Colin Blue servants women in palanquins this is a big party heading out onto the shattered plains for a hunt adolin has his own shard shard plate that he inherited on his 16th birthday it says seven years ago so that makes him 23 but i agree i i, I meant to mention when joe said it i agree that a lot of his internal monologue seems kind of immature especially how much of it is given over to like dating drama like a lot of dating drama yeah that's that's, that's, that's a lot <laughs> And so we get this is the first time I think we get the perspective of somebody wearing shard plate where it's like it increases your speed, your strength, your dexterity. He has to be careful not to crush his canteen when he pulls it out for a drink. And meanwhile, we have Sadius and the king and Dalinar all here also wearing their uh, their shard plate. The final high prince on the hunt was Vama, who is not a shard bearer. So no plate for him. The king's shard plate is golden. Even Sadius looked impressive when he wore his red plate, though his bulbous face and ruddy complexion weakened the effect. So, yeah, there's that. Yep, missed it. Oh, well. Adolin's is painted blue and has, like, some ornamentation added on, welded onto it. He's like, I mean, you got to show off when you're wearing shard plate, except for his dad does not show off. His dad wears it uh, in the normal slate gray color and apparently just looks very natural on him, as if he was, like, born to wear this, basically. Well, I mean, Not a hint. That's, that, that's your first, like, real, like, show that, all right, Dalinar just does not give a fuck about looking pretty or um, yep. appearances or anything like that. He is here to get the job done. He does not give a fuck. I appreciate that in a character. Yeah. Not an attractive guy is Dalinar, apparently, at least according to Adolin. His nose is the wrong shape, whatever that means. <laughs> I'm imagining, like, some weird Picasso shape. But he has the face of a warrior, and he has he's he's astride a massive black Rishadium stallion. So these really big horses, bigger than anybody any of the other horses. And we find out later from Dalinar that it's like it's like Harry Potter and the Wands, where the Rishadium chooses who can ride it. 
And according to his son, Dalinar has the reputation as one of the greatest warriors and generals who have ever lived. So that's a, that's a big, bold statement. But at the same time, we find out that he is having visions during the high storm or during the high storms. He's having what is what they then call episodes where he falls to the floor and shakes and speaks in gibberish or sometimes stands there and swings and flails his arms. And he's thinking that Adolin's like my granddad suffered from delusions when he got old. Is that what's happening to Dalinar? Or is he seeing that terrible night over and over when his brother was murdered by the assassin in white? And why does he mention the Knight's Radiance so soon after his episodes? And so he's like, what What am I supposed to do as a son when my dad, who's the greatest guy ever, starts to lose his mind? And then Sadius is over here bragging to the king about the gem heart that he won a couple days ago. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm good. Always out here winning these gem hearts. So what I'm to gather from this is like these like these gem hearts are in the mounds that like the rest of the army is going to, like Kaladin and the bridge crew, like they're transporting the army to. Is that right? That uh, what we got from Kaladin's perspective was that they're out there fighting over something in these uh, in the mounds. Hold on. I was trying to see if there was another word that they use. Kaladin has a whole thing about how the fighting doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he says it was something about those large chrysalises. They had gemstones at their hearts, apparently. Yeah, so Kaladin's down there treating this like this is a horrific war. And then you got people like Sadius up there <laughs> just going, oh, yeah, what a wonderful game finding this thing. Yep. Yeah, maybe the chrysalises are like larval or pupa versions of the uh, of the chasm fiends. We know chasm fiends apparently have these gems, so maybe that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it and it literally says chrysalis. So yep, yep. So yeah, Sadius is out here, and, and Kaladin is in Sadius's army. So yeah, while Sadius is bragging about it, Kaladin to win this very gem heart was probably out there getting shot at. Sure. And the king's like, oh, you're a model of courage lately, Sadius. You've done well capturing gem hearts. You're to be commended. And Sadius takes yet another chance to make a dig at uh, some other people. The competition grows unexciting as some people don't seem interested in participating. I guess even the best weapons eventually grow dull. I mean, this, it, it does seem very like Lucius Malfoy, the snide uh, comments. And Adolin would love to challenge him to a duel, but that's just not done. You don't duel high princes. And Renarin tries to distract him by like, oh, you should have brought like that one girl. And he's like, oh, well, you know, after what happened with that other girl, it it, it was a whole thing. Sounds like the guy needs a calendar book based on <laughs> what happened. Right. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, if you're going out with one, you shouldn't make plans with another the same day, bro. Probably not. Then we cut to Dalinar, who is thinking in his mind, unite them. The words are whispering and he can't get rid of them. And then the king's like, oh, man, are we there yet? Jeez. And Dalinar's like, oh, another hour. If we had a vantage point, we could probably see the pavilion. And the king's like, wait, vantage? Hey, there's a big rock up there. Race you to it. And Dalinar's like, damn it. And he has to chase after him because you can't let the king just run off by himself. Yeah. This king, like, he's like a golden retriever. He's just like. <laughs> he's even bone? golden. Yeah. It's like bone, bone. Yeah, let's go. Okay, I get the bone. Sure. Hey, race me to the bone. Okay, cool. <laughs> but on the other hand, Dalinar does have some fun with the race. He's like, ah, oh, it does feel good to like run and, and have some fun. Yeah. And they keep using this word in this, in this part where he's doing it called thrill, but thrills and caps. Yep. And, uh, you know, I assume you're not going to tell us what that's about, but it's, uh, I'm like, Hey, what's that about? <laughs> it's a thing. We might learn more about it. Who knows? Uh, this is where we find out that, uh, it's like Elicar stallion is good. But he can't match Gallant, who was full Reichshadium, 
Two hands taller and much stronger than an ordinary horse, the animals chose their own riders. Only a dozen men in all the war camps were so fortunate. And Dalinar and Adolin are two of those. So they get to the rock formation, and they jump and start climbing, they race each other to the top. And Elikar takes some, uh, you know, risky moves to try to beat Dalinar. And Dalinar still almost takes him. The thrill, as Joe pointed out, sang at him. He reached for the goal, but then he hears those words, unite them, and he hesitates. And Elikar wins, and Elikar is very proud of himself. So proud that, like, glory spread, tiny golden translucent globes of light pop into existence around him, attracted by his sense of accomplishment. And then Dalinar feels good about, like, not winning, and because Elokar is feeling so good about winning. He's like, oh, yeah. Down below, the Cobalt Guard, which is, I think, a cool name, the Cobalt Guard. And uh, other people, including Sadius, come up. And that's where we find out Sadius has plate, but not a blade, so he's not a full shard bearer. And they can see where they're going. And Elokar's like, oh, come on. We can get up there really quick. And he's like, um, it would kind of defeat the point of all of the of me bringing a thousand soldiers if you just ran off and left them behind. And we also find out that Elkar is a little, um, well, he doesn't seem worried about anything out here. He is very worried about assassins back home or back at the war camp. He's scared at night, which maybe is fair since his father was assassinated. But, uh, you know, and we also see Dalinar feeling just real bad about what happened that night. Which, you know, probably deserved when uh, your brother dies while you're so drunk that you're passed out on the floor. He thinks about his vision a little bit because this view up here reminds him of the first vision. You must unite them. You must prepare. Build of your people a fortress of strength and peace. A wall to resist the winds. If you build it, they come. <laughs> and he's he's trying to figure out a way to convince El- Elokar to do what he thinks they should do. But he's like, I mean, how do I say it? I, I can't tell him I've been having weird mystical visions. Like, I think the visions might be from the Almighty, but I don't know. I don't know. And then we cut back to Adolin, who is thinking about these two women, Rilla and Janala. Yeah, now we get back to the important part of the story. <laughs> Janala loved ancient epic poems. Maybe he could phrase the falling out in dramatic terms and win some. <laughs> can, can you imagine? Oh, she's like, yeah, maybe if you explain it to me, like Beowulf. I'll I'll be okay with it. <laughs> Makes no I sense. A, I made a poem about our breakup. Yeah. Who who is this uh Janala? Amy Farrah Fowler? What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> but Adolin is efficient in his uh because Dalinar left him in charge and he's uh taking reports, he's making troop movement orders, and he seems to be good at what he's what he's doing. Elicard jumps down off the rock. Adolin's like, ah, jeez. Like, shard plate can hold up against that, but it's really reckless to do it. And Adolin's annoyed at uh, some of the other people riding with them, that that they get to wear comfortable riding silks and open-fronted jackets and sit in shade-covered palanquins while he has to wear his armor. He's like, uh, I'm not allowed to wear casual clothing. I have to be in uniform. The Alethi war codes command it. Despite the fact that nobody actually cares about the codes, except for Dalinar Colin, but what can you do? And then there's uh, some lounging light eyes, uh, Sadius's hangers on, it says, who start making insulting comments about uh, Dalinar and uh, his kids just loud enough so that Adolin can hear. And he's pissed off, but the codes won't let him challenge a man to a duel while he's on duty or in command. Uh, we find out a little bit about the government here. The Alethi princedoms were kind of like kingdoms unto themselves. 
still mostly autonomous despite having accepted Gavilar as their king. Hmm. Sounds like very very fiefdom. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me, I think, a little bit of like the uh, like the U.S. under the Articles of Confederation, where it's like, yeah, we're kind of a country, but we're mostly our own things. Right. And because of that, and because the king doesn't officially have any land that he's over, he Elokar kind of still takes over the Colon Princedom stuff, while Dalinar technically should have been his own, basically, little ruler. Uh, he defers to Elokar. He hasn't been going on plateau assaults. He's lagging behind in the capture of precious gem hearts. My precious. Lug nuts. Precious lug nuts. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perfect. I don't know any robot who would decline a, what is it, like a, a hot like, resin. Like a, it's like a hot batch of resin or a hot squirt of yeah. resin or something like that. What sort of robot turns down a blast of searing hot resin? Yeah, a blast of searing hot resin. Perfect. And he and Sadius kind of make some eyes at each other. Sadius really wants a blade, but it Adam's like, anytime you want to duel me, let's go. Bring it, bitch. <laughs> and I love that uh, Aelin tries to make his report. Your Majesty, I have the scout reports. And the king's like, the king sighs. He's like, more of nothing, I expect. Must we have a report on every little detail of the army? Like That's that's some good kinging there, my man. So Renarin, Aelin's brother, is 19 years old. He wears a sword at his side, but does not know how to use it. His blood weakness made it difficult for him to spend any amount of time practicing. In a, in a very warlike society, that probably doesn't go over well. It sounds like he won't be uh, trained to take over. Yeah, it does sound that way. Well, and and, and I do like, Adolin's not really looking forward to the hunt that much. Dalinar's like, oh, taking down a great shell was the highlight of young man's year when I was a kid. Adolin's like, oh, more stories about when you were a kid. I don't care. Or when you were young, whatever. It's just an oversized chull, father, which may explain why Dak, or, or rather, I think Jamie was just like, I, I was picturing it as a big chull, but not quite. These, these oversized chulls grow to 50 feet tall and are capable of crushing even a man in shard plate. But apparently the way you normally oh. hunt them. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was about to say something, and as I unmuted, I got hit in the head with a broom. And I've forgotten. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that was that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> still a 50 foot high chull is still pretty terrifying. Like, I'm. Um, yeah, right. They're just oversized child. Yeah, okay, cool. That's still awful. Are you okay? Seriously. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It's fine. It was just terrible, terrible timing. Yeah. It's all right. As you were, carry on. Adolin's not impressed by the way that you, the hunt is supposed to go, where you bait it for hours while you sit out in the sun, and then you shoot a bunch of arrows at it until it's so weak it can barely resist, and then you go in with shard blades and cut it up. He's like, yeah, very honorable. And Dalinar's like, I mean, yeah, it can be tedious, but the king was insistent. And Renarin jumps in. You're just upset about the problems with Rilla. You were you were eager about this a week ago. You should have invited Janala. And Delinar's like, wait, Janala? Who's that? Are you courting her? He's like, no, I've been trying. What happened to the other one? The one with, like, the, the silver ribbons? Father, I stopped courting her over two months back. There have been two between her and Janala. You, you really need to pay more attention. <laughs> okay. Give the guy a break. Two months. You shouldn't have dated four women in two months. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, he's your dad. Why does he care who you're courting? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, dad. It's like you're looking out for the king's mental health. Well, stop pay attention, paying attention to the girls I bring home. No, I'm good. It might be relevant if Adolin is like the heir to uh, the princedom who he is going to marry. Well, then just have an arranged marriage with, like a normal human being. <laughs> That's what normal human beings do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or alter alternatively, stop bringing home a different girl every week and he might be able to keep up. Right. That's the thing. 
and Adolin tries to change the subject away from his love life to be like, isn't it weird the king insisted on coming out? No, I mean, it's, it isn't often a full-sized chasm fiend makes its way out here. And the king rarely gets to go on plateau runs, so this is a way for him to fight. And he has to explain, like, he's a complex guy. He worries that people see him as a coward because he's afraid of assassins, so he tries to find ways to prove how courageous he is. Foolish ways, maybe, but not the first man I've known who will face battle without fear but cower in terror about knives in the shadows. The hallmark of insecurity is bravado, which I like that line. That's, that's a good one. And Yep, it's pretty incisive. Yep, 100% accurate. And he's like, that's why I encouraged him to do this. A successful hunt under controlled circumstances will bolster his reputation and his confidence. So Adolin's like, oh, okay, yeah, when you when my dad explains all that, it makes perfect sense. Can't they, like, why do people talk about him being a coward? Can't they see how wise he is? Apparently, you probably spend more time with him than any of them, and you didn't until just now. So, you know. And then Dalinar's like, if only I could figure out how to convince him to leave the Shattered Plains. And Adolin's like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I'm supposed to unite them, but... Mm. I'm beginning to see we're united only in name. The High Princes give lip service to Elokar, but this war, this siege, is a game to them, a competition against one another. We can't unite them here. We need to return to Alethkar and stabilize our homeland. The others worry too much about winning wealth and prestige. And Adolin's like, um, wealth and prestige are what being a Lethi is all about. Like, that's that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, we're wealthy, Dad. Come on. <laughs> and Dalinar's like, look, I love my brother. But his life's work was to unite Alethkar. I'm I'll go to damnation before I let it break apart. So, you know, I'm trying to if we have to give up avenging him to save what he worked his whole life for, then it's not really a choice. And Adolin wants to argue that, well, OK, if we're doing something wrong, if you think they're playing games, then let's change the attack. Let's actually attack them instead of besieging them. Instead of withdrawing, let's win. And Dollar's like, yeah, maybe. But I, I like that Dalinar is willing to hear these other opinions. And he's like, okay, I'll think about that. And when Adolin tries to push it, he's like, no, you made your point. I replied to it. I'll think about it. Now let's move on to other stuff. Like it's a, it's, it's a good way for a superior to behave. And Adolin is thinking that his father started changing that night when his brother died. Adolin would never forgive the Parshendi for bringing his father such pain. I guess screw them murdering my uncle. It's really about my dad. Maybe if they beat the Parshendi, his dad would go back to the man he had been. And we find out that Dalinar and Sadius used to be friends that had also changed the night of Gavilar's death. What had happened? And then a dude shows up that we talked about before. Here comes Wit. And Adolin is excited to see him. So he is tall and thin, wears a stiff black coat and trousers matching his deep onyx hair. He had a thin sword tied to his waist, but Adolin had never known him to draw it. He had blue eyes, but he wasn't really a light eyes or a dark eyes. He was just the king's wit. And he's immediately like, ah, Prince Adolin, you managed to pry yourself away from the camp's young women long enough to join the hunt. I'm impressed. And then Adolin has to admit, I made a lunch appointment with a woman yesterday, but I was uh, courting a different woman, and she's the jealous type, so now neither one will speak to me. Good, you can cut your address book down a bit. Yeah, there you go. Just uh, move on to move on to number five in the last two months. It's fine. <laughs> so the king's wit, like he's not a silly court fool. He used a sword, a tool maintained by the king, since insulting others was beyond the dignity of the king. Just as one used gloves when forced to handle something vile, the king has a wit. So he didn't have to debase himself to the level of rudeness or offensiveness. And this guy's been here for a few months, and he's different. The king has advised me to to um, respond to your missive with your mother. <laughs> and Dalinar greets Wit, and Wit greets Renar Renarin, who doesn't say anything. 
And Adolin's like, he thinks you'll mock him if he speaks to you. He decided, he told me he decided not to say anything around you. And it's like, oh, that's great. So I can just say whatever I want. Hey, did I tell you about the other night when Renarin and I were walking back from camp and we met these two sisters? And Renarin's like, that's a lie. He's like, okay, fine. There were really three sisters, but Renarin quite unfairly ended up with two of them, and I didn't want to diminish my reputation. So. And then Dalinar's like, Wit, maybe restrict your mockery to those who deserve it. And Wit's like, uh, that's what I was <laughs> doing. And then he whispers to Dalinar as he's leaving, those who deserve my mockery are those who can benefit from it. That one is less fragile than you think him. And Adolin's like, man, I like that guy. Best wit we've had in ages. <laughs> it's a constantly changing position. Like, do they always just piss off someone so much that they, like the wits keep getting killed? I, yeah, I, like I mean, I, my, right? yeah, it's like that's like what would happen to court jesters, right? They once they make the king annoyed enough or mad enough, they just get killed. Is that what happened? I thought the king's just like that was the point of the jester. And the king's just like, oh, who gives a shit what he says? He's just the jester. Mm, maybe. And uh, Wit goes off to make fun of some other people who laugh and have a good time with him. And we find the Huntmaster Bashan, who says, yeah, we're, we're using hog carcasses as bait, and we've been pouring hog's blood over the sides. So, yeah, he'll show up he'll, here pretty quick. He's got his nest nearby for certain. He's not here to pupate. He's too big for that. Once he's here, we'll loose the wild hogs as a distraction, and you can start shooting with arrows. They have grand bows, which are bows so huge that only a shard bearer can use them. Firing shafts as thick as three fingers. So that's a big old arrow shaft. The engineers had created them. Each one requires a small infused gemstone to maintain the strength of its pull without warping the metal. Adolin's aunt Navani, the widow of King Gavilar and mother of Elokar and Yasna, had led the research to develop the bows. So I guess Yasna is not the only bright one in this family. I hope we, we meet Yasna's mom at some point. She sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, she sounds like an engineer or a scientist. I appreciate those. Um, well, it's an unusual position for a queen to be in, so that, yeah. that's cool. I like it. And that Adolin's like, man, I wish Navani was here. Things are never boring around her. <laughs> so he, he wants her around, too. Shard blades and shard plate are relics from another time when the Radiance had walked Roshar. No amount of fabrial science had ever approached recreating them. And... uh Dalinar's comment that Gavilar always wanted to slay one of these chasm fiends. He loved great shell hunts, but he never got one of these. Odd that I've now killed so many. Chasm fiends, well, you're used to attacking them in their chrysalises. Don't forget how mean they are when they're not pupating. And then one of the uh, the chulls starts running off, and the huntmaster's like, dang, that stupid animal. The man who trained it must have been daft. It's been doing this all day. And that's when uh, Dalinar's like, um, shouldn't there be bait at the end of that rope? And then something starts coming out of the dark, something mind-numbingly enormous, rose out of the chasm on thick, chitinous legs, coming onto not the plateau where the hunt was supposed to take place, but the viewing plateau where they currently are, along with all of the unarmed guests, female scribes, and unprepared soldiers. And Bastion's like, ah, oh, damnation. And that's the end of our chapter. And then chapter 13 is 10 heartbeats. We get another uh, little epigraph. I realize that you're probably still angry. That is pleasant to know, much as your perpetual help. I have come to rely upon your dissatisfaction with me it is one of the Cosmere's great constants, I should think. So I don't know. What do you guys think of these two uh, new style of epigraphs? Interesting, but I was like, well, I need to know who they're addressed to and when they're being written. That that always yeah. seems to trip us up. Mm-hmm. There's the mortality being talked about, the Cosmere at large being talked about. Definitely interesting. I mean, if I had to throw in a guess right this second, I would say Hoyt only because he's already been brought up, but I don't know. 
He's like, you mean like Hoyd wrote this or Hoyd's receiving these? Uh, I think he wrote them. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, that's fair. Sounds like someone would be pissed off at Hoyd. <laughs> right, I can see it. Hoyd well, simultaneously has the most enemies and the least amount of fucks to give about it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we already know that uh, he and Kelsey don't get along, so. He's, and like, regardless, regardless of whether or not they're associated with, Kel- with Kelsey, he's got a band of other guys searching for him. Yep. Presumably that's not to catch up and reminisce. Yeah, no, they're just looking for their old pal. It's fine. I mean, if if you're right and he is the wit, then he's probably got a lot of enemies from all the insults that he's been throwing. <laughs> uh, so ten heartbeats is how long it takes to summon a shard blade. So if you're relaxed, it takes longer. If you're on the battlefield and revved up, it happens faster. And the chasm fiend it starts slamming its arms down, destroys a bridge that was filled with attendants and soldiers, and people plunge screaming to their deaths in the chasm. The chasm fiend towered like a mountain of interlocking carapace and the, the color of dark violet ink. So it's like a purple giant crab monster. And he says, Dalinar can see why the Parshendi called these things gods, which there's your explanation for how the last chapter started, where it's like, what a good day it is to kill a god, which was never explained until we get here, where it's like, oh, the Parshendi called these gods. All right. While it was vaguely crustacean, it was not a bulky, placid chull. It had four wicked foreclaws set into broad shoulders, each claw the size of a horse, and a dozen smaller legs. And it's, it grabs up a chull and pops it into its mouth, while Elikar is yelling for the archers to start firing. And Dalinar says, distract it from the unarmed. And like, it just, like, pops the chull in its mouth and cracks the shell. And, like, pieces of shell falling to the ground as it, like, chews on it. Dalinar makes a running leap and sails five yards. So yeah, the, the shard plate really gives you some added strength and the chasm fiend gives a screeching sound. It says it trumpeted with four voices overlapping one another, which that's a weird sound. And here comes, here comes Dalinar shard blade oath bringer. It coalesces from mist on the 10th beat of his heart, six feet long. So as we established earlier, taller than Dak is taller than any of us are actually. I'll admit, like, the name, I'm just like, wait, have we heard that before? Did that come up before? And it turns out, no, that's the name of a, a later book. Yep, that's the name of book three. Yep. I realized when I looked at the shelf, I'm like, oh, okay, there it is. Uh, it says that he bonded to the blade when he was 20. It's long and slightly curved, a hand span wide, with a curved a curve at the tip like a fisherman's hook. So a big old six-foot-long sword with a mean hook at the end. Sure, just like uh, Titus's Brotherhood. I got it. He, yeah, he likes Final so. Fantasy X. I get that's it a, now. That's a fair point. I was thinking like um jet swords in Avatar. Oh, he has like like hook swords, like uh, the guy from Mortal Kombat, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are yeah. legitimately, they're called hook swords. They're just swords used in, uh, in like Chinese folklore, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, like the, there's a heavy Asian in, inspiration behind a lot, a lot of this book, so that makes sense. Here's mm-hmm. some. I'm, I'm gonna pop into our uh, our chat a picture of uh, of like what Dalinar and Elokar's swords look like, so you can get an idea. Because then we see Elokar really? also with his blade, Sunraiser. They're really quite different, aren't they? They really yeah. are, yeah. And that fish hook is not as pronounced as I would have expected based on the description. I've seen different pictures, and the hook is like more pronounced in some than others, but that because that's even the back of the blade, and that's not how I envision it when they're talking about it. When they're talking about it, it seems like that would be the other. It would be on the other side of the blade. 
Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. All the ones that I, all the pictures I see, it's on the back end of the blade is the hook. Yeah, but I don't think it's described that way. Uh, it just says it curved at the tip like a fisherman's hook, so it doesn't really say that it goes. Yeah, one way or I just would imagine that if you're going to have a curve on the tip like a fisherman's hook, it would be more than an affectation. It would be like mm. it would be a part of the sword that would be usable. Oh, I'd forgotten that they make uh, Badali Jewelry makes a necklace version of this that uh, has like Brandon's uh, official design seal of approval, basically. So I guess. Let me see if I can copy that picture, and you can see it's pretty. It's pretty close, though. Also, I apparently can't copy this picture. So, oh, there we go. I can find the right window. Do do do. That's cool. So, yeah. Oathbringer. Uh, I've got. I actually have a piece of uh, a stormlight piece of jewelry that Badali makes, but it's not one of. They, they make a couple different sword necklaces. I have. Uh, hmm. I have a pendant with the the ten heralds on it. Hmm. Okay, so sorry, back to this. Helicar bellows, make it angry as he summons his sword, and then they move in. And here comes Adolin on his horse. Also, uh, you know, he's armored up. He has a sword. He's going to go in and uh, help as well. And Sadius is calling for his grand bow because he does not have a shard blade, but he has shard plate, so he can use these giant bows. And Dalinar calls to Helicar, you hold back, your majesty. Adolin and I will weaken it. And I like the description, like he lowers the visor on his helmet and it mists locking it into place and he can see like the sides of the helmet are translucent so he can kind of see out it says it's like looking through dirty glass basically but it's a big advantage over armor where all you can see is like through the eye slit and so you got archers shooting at this giant crab monster but the arrows are like the ones that don't hit are falling down and like hitting dalinar underneath it which is not so bad when it's uh, he's got his armor on but he doesn't want to take one in the eye slit by accident. So Adolin goes left, Dalinar goes right, and they start slashing through the Chasm Fiend's legs. Because the blade doesn't cut through living flesh, as we established, but it does kill the leg if you cut through it, so that it falls numb and useless. And the monster does not like that. It's that the monster was long and narrow like a crayfish, and had a flattened tail, and it walked on 14 legs. How many could it lose before collapsing? And while they're trying to weave in and out and take out these legs one at a time, Elokar's like, meet your enemy, monster, and rides straight in like a maniac and just goes straight like straight for the front of it. Dalinar's like, you're supposed to go for the legs, and Elokar ignores that completely. And then he goes like, I'm distracting you, you fool. Keep attacking. And Dalinar's like, well, I have the, the faster, stronger horse. I should distract it, but El- Elokar does not care. And so now it's got the creature has attacks coming from every side. It's got a guy in front of it. It's got guys on either side chopping its legs. It's got arrows flying in. It's getting kind of annoyed. They take out five legs and then Elokar's saddle girth snaps and he falls to the ground off his horse, loses hold of his shard blade, which reverts to mist vanishing a protection to keep your blade from being taken by your enemies. They vanished unless you wish willed them to stay when you released them. So that's good to know. And the, the creature's about to smash a claw down on the king when a giant arrow slams into its head, purple gore spurting free. Sadius has gotten that bow, and he's starting to shoot giant arrows. I mean, as much as this guy is just a slimy piece of shit, it's nice to know, like, he's not just also a useless slimy piece of shit. He can fight as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he came in handy here. And Dalinar even thinks, like, we're not friends. We don't like each other, but we both agree that we're going to protect the king. So 
that's something in Sadius's favor. Yeah. Not that I think we're supposed to love the king all that much at this point, but still, loyalty is a good thing. King is complicated. I don't dislike him, but yeah, like yeah. So now the monster is so pissed off that it kind of gets like an extra burst of energy. It says it, it it had been a little bit sluggish, and now that vanishes as it like screams, angry, wild, crazed. At this point, it would follow them until it either killed them or was slain. So they keep chopping legs. Seven down, half of its legs, and it's still standing. Elokar stands back up. Are you a god? <laughs> Someone asks you if you're a god. You say yes. You say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Aim for the flat top. <laughs> That's the advice they should have given Elokar. No. Uh, I defy you, creature. I claim your life. They will see their gods crushed just as they will see their king dead at my feet. <laughs> Dollar <our face. laughs> yeah. the, the giant love. I can't understand you. You're just making little squeaky noises. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, but you're special, little kid. <laughs> Give me the map, Scott. Touch Brother Hot. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, my wife has never seen that film, but I quoted that the other day. She is a big Tracy Morgan fan, however, so ah. she's like, well, so when I showed her the clip, she's like, you know, that was pretty good. I kind of thought that was Tracy Morgan when you were doing it. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's got a, a Tracy Morgan cadence to it. Yeah. I don't know that she'd enjoy that movie at all, but certainly not. Yeah. Nor should that, anyone. It hasn't aged well. Uh, that's fair. Dalinar thinks damnation's own fool. As Elokar was confronting the thing before his sword even came back and his armor is like cracked and leaking stormlight. And Elokar reaches up and slams his newly resummoned sword right into the monster's chest, trying to hit its heart. The beast roars and knocks him free. And in the process, its tail whips around and bashes into Dalinar and Gallant. And Dalinar flies off his horse, loses his blade also. And I like that Gallant kind of stumbles a bit. And then Dalinar says, away. The command word would send the horse to safety. Unlike Elokar, it would obey. <laughs> yeah, my horse does what I tell it to do. Yep. And so he's, he's summoned his shard blade again, but ten heartbeats is an eternity in the middle of a battle. And the uh, the archers are still firing, but the Chasm Fiend is ignoring even Sadius's giant arrows at this point. Adolin gets another leg, eight down out of 14. And here comes Renarin, dressed in his Colin, Colin uniform. Father, are you well? Can I help? And he's like, fool boy, go! You're unarmored and unarmed. Go back before you get yourself killed. Which probably does not make Renarin feel good, but is uh, the right thing to do at this moment. Adolin goes to help the king and gets smacked by a giant claw. Shard plate snapped as the claw tossed him into the air. And while he is worried, no one died. I am. While he is worried about his son, Elokar is now facing the beast alone. He can't leave his nephew there. The beast knocks him down. His sword disappears. And he's about to smash the the king. And Dalinar's thinking, "I, I was drunk, passed out while my brother fought for his life. I failed him. I cannot fail the two pieces of my brother that I have left his kingdom and his son, which I feel is a little unfair because dude also has a daughter out there, but whatever. And then we cut to Adolin's perspective as he's kind of fuzzy after taking that hit and flying through the air. And he, but he does see the chasm fiend about to like crush the King basically. And then there's Dalinar moving with the speed and grace. No man, not even one wearing shard plate should be able to manage. He leaps over some rocks. He runs in and he just like catches the claw so fucking cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So he goes down to one knee, but he catches it. He's holding it up 
and everyone, Adolin, it's just like, holy shit. It's like the archers are all shocked. Even Sadius is like, what the hell did I just see? And Adolin thinks, in this in this moment, I'm seeing him, the Black Thorn, the very man that he'd been wishing to fight alongside. And then Adolin's like, oh, I should probably help, right? Yeah, okay. With so many of its legs gone and all the pressure it was trying to put down to crush Dalinar, it uh, snaps the remaining legs on the right side and the beast falls over. And that's when Elokar gets up and notices uh, the, 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 the monster has fallen down. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he goes up and gets his blade and shoves it into the Chasm Fiend's chest. Uh, well, I, actually, I guess uh, he shoves it into the monster's neck first because that kills it. Its eyes blacken as you move the blade through its spine or whatever it has. It's the equivalent of that. And then he starts cutting into the chest. Now that it's dead, the blade can cut it. And he reaches in and he pulls out an enormous gem heart. A gem, the gemstone that grew within all chasm fiends. It was lumpy and uncut, but it was a pure emerald as big as a man's head. The largest gem heart Adolin had ever seen, and even the small ones were worth a fortune. And everyone cheers and is happy, and that's the end of our chapters. So, yeah, I, I, I like what somebody said. That it's, it's nice to have just like a full sort of scene. We get the intro, we get the run-up, we get the battle, and we get the end of it. And so this was a good two chapters to read, I think. You guys, where where are we going from here? I mean, we don't I don't know how much information we have for you to base that on. Uh, but uh, this uh, we know that this part of the book is going to be Adolin, Dalinar and Kaladin chapters. So what's coming next? Predigments. That's in case you're wondering. That's where we are. OK, so short term, Kaladin will have seen all this go down from a distance, I guess. And um I guess it'll just give him appreciation for what's actually out in the Shattered Plains and understand what, what they're fighting for, what are in these mounds that they keep going for. So, and I think maybe he'll try and convince... He, he's trying to get the loyalty of his bridge crew, and maybe he's going to like try and build themselves up so they can get some acclaim by being a bridge crew who gains a gem heart like, of their own. I don't know. Maybe he wants to try and get some cred so that the bridge crews don't keep dying needlessly, so... If he can show they're useful for more than just you know arrow fodder and carrying and carrying shit, maybe that'll go down. So that's short term. Long term, I don't think Dalinar's making it out of this book alive. Poor guy's, you know, he's desperate to protect a king who keeps throwing himself into dangerous situations, and he's having these flashbacks and visions and uh, whatever. Like the thing that uh, Seth wrote when Gavilar died has clearly done a number on him. So I think he's dealing with some heavy trauma stuff. I don't. So, yeah, I think Dalinar is not surviving the end of this book. So we'll okay. see how that goes. And for just just for funsies, oh, um, I imagine that. All right. Now we've seen a chasm fiend. They might be a bit forgotten about for the bulk of the book. And then like in the climax, you'll have two sides fighting a battle. And all of a sudden they realize they're straight into a chasm fiend nest or a den <laughs> or whatever it was called. And then all of a sudden that just you know wreaks chaos on whatever climactic fight is going on. That's just. I'd, likelihood probably slim, but fuck that'd be cool. That could definitely turn the tide of a battle if a chasm fiend shows up randomly in the middle. Oh, maybe Kaladin could ride one. <laughs> like we were talking about riding into battle on a chull. Imagine riding into battle on a chasm fiend. Fuck yeah. <laughs> a, a chasm fiend is just as exclusive as the that type of horse. Oh, the right <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> the rider. Yep. Yeah. That that's a whole new level of cravathy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He'd be like, uh, he'd be like, dude, he's gonna ride the worm. <laughs> Wormy worm, worm wazzle. 
I have ridden well, that's the mighty not, moon worm. That's, <laughs> that's not the dune, but sure. Women, wham, wham, wazzle. Yeah, but it, it reminded me of I've I've ridden the mighty moon worm, so that's why. It, yeah. And then the planet Wormulon, and you know, it's it, it, there's worms all it's throughout Futurama. Worms, sure. There's, I mean, worm um... cola is made in a colossal worm, Heine. Heine, you say? Why, with your test, so why don't we will outlaw this insidious slurm? Outlaw slurm. <laughs> what's, what's the line? Yippee-ki-yay, you'll never guess where I've been. Oh, <laughs> no, we said That's slurm, not sperm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll okay, never good. guess where Slow I've been. been. Good, solid predictions, Zach. What do you, what do you got, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not really a huge amount. Like I said before, it's kind of like starting a book again. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Someone needs help. There you go. Help is arrived. Yeah. Cool. How about yep. Yeah, so it, it does feel a little bit like starting a new book. I think we've, we've found now, coming into part two, our characters seem to be in the one area. So I'm... I'm predicting in this part at least we should end up with Kaladin maybe making some way with bridge four personally I hope that Gaz is is maybe destroyed by a chasm fiend (laughs) I think that would probably be an honorable death for him if yeah so if Kaladin finds his way to the the army and he was he was sort of thinking about this is you know it's not natural the way all these things are. So we, we've learned a little bit more about the Shattered Plains, I guess, in these chapters. So, yeah, I'm basically, long story short, hoping these characters all find their way to each other. Maybe Kaladin will earn himself a place in uh, in the army with these newfound characters that we like. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more than that. There's not uh, not really a lot to to go on here. Yeah, no, I get yeah. you. And I, I think it, it's a very logical possibility that you brought up where it's like, we want Kaladin to move up, but also like Sadius and his army suck. Uh, but we, we kind of like Dalinar already. So maybe he can, you know, meet Dalinar and they can be friends or something. And, you know, if he's going to move up, something like that would be nice. I agree. Yeah, like he seems reasonable. And, and maybe if he's really good at what he does and Dalinar is trying to protect the king, you know, and unite different areas. Kaladin mm, could be a per- good person to have around. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thought. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, Kaladin. I don't know that. I don't know what he's doing now. I assume he's doing what I predicted last, which is getting his bridge crew together, making them a cohesive unit. If uh, he's in Sidious's army, I doubt he is in a position to have seen what just occurred. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But it sounds like maybe Sidious is doing things in a in a completely different location of the Shattered Plains. We also don't know how big the Shattered Plains are. I guess I could look on the map, but I don't really look mm. at maps. And so, yeah, I don't know if the next section is going to be Kaladin or not. But I so I'm just going to make predictions based solely on um, what we've read this time. Dalinar Colin's going to try to convince the king to leave the Shattered Plains. I don't think it's going to go well for him. I think um, that he may be facing. A little bit of, um, what's the word? A little bit of isolation. Like maybe mm. the king will start to distance himself from his uncle, which will be bad on, which will be bad news for El Hokar or whatever his name is. But uh, we'll see. That's that would be my predicament going forward. That uh, that that uh, that kind of separation is not gonna, or that kind of uh, suggestion is not gonna go over well. 
Yeah, from what Adolin says, it doesn't seem like it would, right? No, Adolin's like, no, that's like, what we're doing here is like a part of who we are, which, to be fair, we don't know how long that this kind of gem heart gathering has been going on, but potentially Elhokar's dad was the one who was trying to unite the kingdoms before, so if that's the case, it can't have been going on for a super long time that the Barshendi and them have been at odds. I don't know how many years ago Gavilar died. I'm sure it uh, said, it but I didn't read it. Six at this point, I believe. Six years? Because it was five years when we first met Kaladin, and then uh-huh. months passed after that. Okay. So, so really, yeah, five years. I mean, five years is long for a war, but or five or six years is long for a war, but it's in the grand scheme of, like, this is our culture, this is what we do, it's not that long. So with it, for his son to say that would, would make me think that, you know, this is something they've been doing even without warring against the Parshendi, they've they've all been chasing after these gem hearts for a really long time. So if that's the case, yeah, it, it may not be something that, that the king is willing to even listen to because it's not something his dad was even doing. But I guess it really just depends on if his uncle can sell it mm-hmm. without mentioning these weird visions or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like that you mentioned the map because I forgot about that. At the very beginning of part two there is a map of uh, a section of the shattered plains and you can see the 10 war camps at the top end of the map and so it gives you some idea of at least a piece of the scale and it seems like the shattered plains is fairly large from <laughs> from what you can tell but yeah it's uh i think that you you also have some reasonable uh presumptions there where it's like dalinar is looking for a way to say this to the king and it doesn't seem like if he does, it will go over well. So that is that is a good possibility that you brought out about how it might go down if he tried it. And uh, who who knows how any of the others will react? There's apparently there's there's ten high princes out here. So how much power any of them have individually, and how any of them would react to this kind of thought? Even if because even if you can convince the king somehow, this chapter tells us that like each of the high princes is basically their own little king. And they they only down are even I think puts it like they just pay lip service to Elokar. So who knows if even convincing the king would uh, effectively change the course of things. Let's see. Uh, I guess we'll do emails next. We have a bunch of emails and some of them are fairly long. I think we'll probably do maybe half of them here. So this one is from Where's Hoyd is the is the name given at the end here. Hello, Data, Jamie, Dak, and Joe. Congrats in reaching my favorite book of all time. Your journey through the Cosmere has been so cool with wild theories and insightful commentary. After having all Brandon's books under my belt, including the Secret Projects, I may have followed your journey from the start. I, I'm sorry, I have followed your journey from the start and have enjoyed every bit. Keep up the good work. And wasing to the time of next, Colo P.S. Fasher. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they all, nice email. That was more like also a review almost. Well, they they sent a screenshot of their five star Spotify reviews. What I was going to say. So. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, what a nice review. I wasn't prepared for this because they didn't tell <laughs> me. But uh, for you, my friend, you could be a lurcher. Nice. Let's see. Okay. Next email is from. Uh, this one is signed Kirby Hunter. Sander Lanch appreciation email is the title. Hey, Sander Lanch crew, longtime listener and Discord lurker here. I wanted to say thank you for all the fun over the years and the work you put into the podcast for the next two weeks, although this email was from almost two weeks ago at this point. So but for the next two weeks, I'll be on holiday in Australia from Michigan, spending time in Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne and Cairns. 
that how you say those? Uh, Can, uh, cans. Cans. Lost one. Okay. I thought when I, I said that one, I'm like, I bet I did that wrong. <laughs> That's, everyone struggles with that one. After planning this trip, I've realized how difficult the time difference must make co-hosting the podcast from across the world. Your effort is appreciated, and I can't wait to hear some more Volcano Theories as you read through Stormlight. P.S. Thank you, Dak and Jamie, for subconsciously teaching me Aussie slang. It's finally going to be useful. Cheers. <laughs> so Nice. Thanks. I hope, <laughs> hope you enjoyed your trip. Also, really impressed that you came to Canberra. Most people don't know where that is. So. Most people ignore it, yeah. Most people ignore it. We're only the, the capital of Australia, but... People usually don't come here. Sydney and Melbourne are way more interesting. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of states that have capitals that are like that. Like like Nevada, for example. Like people go to Las Vegas. I, I don't know a lot of people that go to Carson City. Mm. Carson City's the capital? Yes, it is. You know, I no- only know it exists because of some weird Jackie Chan movie where he teams up with Owen Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, noon. Yeah, yep. and then, you know, New York State, the capital is Albany, not New York City. Yep, yep, Florida, yeah. Florida and Tallahassee. Yep, I mean, not, my, York, not Miami or Orlando, yep. The, the New York thing is is weird, but also, like, at least New York City is in New York State as opposed to Washington. <laughs> That's a fair point, yep. That's a good point. Washington, also with Olympia, not many people. Yeah, not many people know about that. They think Seattle, but it's Olympia. Never um, had Olympia, there you go. Right, and then yeah. California, the capital, Sacramento, Sacramento not yeah. not Los Angeles or San New Diego Jersey. Or Most like people don't know any cities in New Jersey at all, let alone uh, <laughs> Trenton. Yeah, let alone the capital of Trenton. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be it's just a couple months to my Australia trip. I'm excited. God, oh, that is soon, isn't it? Yeah. Yay. Gonna meet up with Jack and Jamie for for a day, hopefully, assuming you know flight doesn't get pushed around or anything. You never know with those. Yeah. But, uh, you guys should yeah. uh, you guys should record something too. Maybe I'm not planning on taking like yeah. a laptop or anything because I like to pack light for these kind of things. So I don't know. Right. Oh, having can... having just mentioned all that, you know, if there was any any doubt about it, I know we've mentioned it on the show before, but uh, Data and I will not be at the uh, at the Dragon Steel convention this year. Oh. Uh, this will be the last episode that goes out before that convention starts, and we will we will not be in attendance. Is it the last? Hold on. When when will this episode go up? So this will go up next Monday, and then it'll be the week after that, won't it? <clears throat> it'll be the week after that. So I guess, yeah, the next one after that will go up when the convention starts on the Monday. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, we will we will not be there. So, uh, unfortunately, you will not see us. Do not come looking for us. You will not find us. I'm hoping for uh, for next year, uh, yeah. for, for the Stormlight release, that I will be able to go. Maybe not, Joe, since we'll be in the middle of Stormlight, and uh, there's huge potential spoilers floating around. But I, – I, I'm having this big trip this year, so I just can't afford to only go oh, yeah. a couple months before yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'll go anyway. I don't care. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, next next email is from Matt. Hey, crew, I sent an email a few days ago, and now I'm caught up once more. An upside to ADHD hyperfixation. I go through podcasts very quickly. Really interested in seeing your thoughts on The Way of Kings. I'm glad you guys are enjoying Shalon. She's a favorite of mine. I really like the inclusion of the word of Brandon of the day, and even though I'm not a patron, I thought it would be cool if you let patrons vote on it. I mean, yeah, that's possibly a thing that if I hadn't been forgetting every single time to do it, maybe I'll remember now that he's reminded me. Um, I'm wondering what all of your thoughts are on the planet Roshar so far. It's such a fascinating setting. I once heard it described as an underwater world on the surface, plants that move on their own, weird bug crab things. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. 
Uh, also, the world, the world itself is 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 quite baffling. <laughs> I, I like it, but it's baffling. It's yeah, it's so different. There's there's kaiju crabs and crab dogs and moving grass. Yeah, I think it's the spren everywhere. Mm. Like I I see it being a lot of like flickering lights and. In my head is a lot of bright colours, maybe not so much on the shattered planes, but like just kind of a bit topsy turvy. And the description of all the people when they come in and they're different colours or different colour hair or something like that. I'm just like, it's just my brain pictures it as quite a colourful place. I like it. It's pretty. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about it like that before, but yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I mean, it, even saying like underwater world, like. Underwater world would also be very pretty, right? Like the the colors and stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. His his other question is, what do you guys think that the shard or shards of Roshar is slash are? I've mentioned before. I think like there must be like an abstraction <laughs> shard, just because this again the spren are just bizarre to me. I'm like, all right, it's got to be some someone else who's just on a different wavelength to the rest of them. Yeah. No. Yeah. With with the one that loves crabs. We established that too. Yeah, I, I've posited before. I think like the the enemy that the ten heralds were fighting in the prelude was another evil shard. So mm-hmm. maybe abstraction was up against someone, but I don't quite know who that uh, the other angry one would be. Who would hate abstraction? Law and order shard. So preservation's back. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have I like any thoughts? Idea. Yeah. I thought like like inspiration or something. I call the, well, that's, the spren that's a good one. kind of yeah, like hmm. drawn to whatever's sort of happening at the time. I don't know. That's kind of what I thought, especially with um still for Kaladin kind of inspiring him to go. Okay, makes sense to me. Hmm. Joe, I don't know. Maybe like it's very. There's a lot of uh, a lot of like importance on like reputations, maybe like valor or something. I don't know. That would be a cool name for a shard. Makes me think of Kingdom Hearts and valor form, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. But yeah, with with how alive the planet is, there's got to be something else involved. It can't just be can't just be like one thing. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was that was Matt. Thank you, Matt. And I think we'll do we'll do one more, which will be just over half of what we had. This one, the title is "What's Cooking in the Lanch of Sander," and it, it's uh, signed B at the end, just the letter B. So, what's good, y'all? Couple things I wanted to throw at you. First off, hypothetically, what if you did an episode where Data let everyone get extremely in in capital letters high, and then throw out the wildest predictions they could think of? Only slightly joking. You know, I say winners don't do drugs. That's what I say. <laughs> I if you uh, if you get if you get that Futurama reference, you're a good person. <laughs> winners don't use drugs. Yeah, okay. I'm a good person. He goes on to say, I'm imagining a completely zooted smoke sesh episode where they predict Kaladin turning out to be Kelsier's grandson, mm-hmm. who has exploding volcano powers and will blow up Roshar. Only he's going head-to-head against Susabron, who has discovered the art of Kung Fu from Harmony. Kaladin will unleash a huge eruption so powerful it frees Kelsier from the cognitive realm. And as a grandfather-grandson duo, they go up against Susabron, who backflips all over the place, saying things like, let's Scooby-Doo this shit, as he fights. Yeah, what does Zoot mean? I feel like... I, I don't know. 
Jack, you can't email the show with your crazy theory. <laughs> yeah. After reading as someone else. Whoa. <laughs> I feel like you could come up with that on your own completely sober. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't got to be, you don't got to be high to figure that out. <laughs> you guys produce possum hunters. Like, That's true. Your yeah, brains go uh... anywhere. I don't think you need to be high for this level of prediction. <laughs> I was stone cold sober for possum hunters. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I love that Jamie says that because the next bit says, as the genius he is, Dak predicts that Alrian will suddenly descend out of the sky and reveal that Susabron is actually Kelsier's son and Kaladin's father. They decide the power of family is stronger than the power of causing volcanic eruptions and hug it out. <laughs> wow. This family reminds me of, this is uh, getting fucking baffling. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of that episode of Parks and Rec where Patton Oswalt is guest star. And he, this was before, oh, the like, Star the, Wars thing. Yeah, this was before the new Star Wars movies came out, and he, like, basically went on a tangent about what his prediction for the new Star Wars was going to be like. It's uh, the full clip's available on YouTube. It's, it's a ridiculous, awesome. yeah, if, if you watch the whole clip where they just let him keep going. Yeah, because they cut, they cut out a lot of it for the episode, but, like, he just he just went on a riff while they, sh- while they put it on camera, and then they just chopped it up for the episode, but it's pretty amazing. It continues, Joe will smoke an extra eighth and predict Yedin faked his death and will be returning as a villain, backed by the armies of red and gold. This is probably yeah. with a movie adaptation without Sanderson at the helm. Will Oh, this is probably what a movie adaptation without Sanderson at the helm will end up being like. Mm. Well, joke's on you. I don't even remember who Yedin is. Yedin, the, 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 the guy who quote unquote hired Kelsier uh, to build him an army and then got the army killed. Oh, he was that idiot who got his entire army killed. Yeah. Right. Hey, man, that was like eight books ago. What am I? <laughs> you want me to remember that guy who was only in half a book? To be honest with you, uh, B out there, I don't I don't smoke anything. I, I prefer to keep uh, all all smoke out of my lungs. I don't think that the two mix well. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I am Look, I'm I already, not suited to answer this question. Uh, I already said it, man. Winners don't use drugs. I, I, I smoked a joint exactly once in my life and spent the rest of the night vomiting in the toilet. Since then, I haven't touched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Next day, I, I was... had to clean that toilet. That <laughs> sucked. It's like vomiting and vomiting in that men's room. Well, if you had to clean it, it probably wasn't some random men's room. Uh, was that, no, that was a from that, something? That, oh, okay. that was my friend's house. <laughs> Well, g- given given other stories I've heard about uh, Dak getting drunk and vomiting places, you know that's uh, that's like his thing, right? Yeah, not totally. anymore. Once upon a time, he has a kid now. Yeah, he grew up. In in your thirties, you're less tolerant of that stuff. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, it's like you used to be able to just bounce back uh, quite easily after that. Now, like even if I drink like uh, quite a lot and I don't wind up vomiting, I still pay for it in hell the next day. <laughs> so yeah. I usually like I'll drink some whiskey now and again, but uh, I don't I don't imbibe heavily any longer. Yeah, yep. <laughs> my my body can't uh, bring me back from the grave like it used to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually like the taste of alcohol, so I don't uh, I don't partake there either. Generally, yep. the the email continues. I personally think Warbreaker would translate the best into a live action movie because it would need minimal CGI and most of the magic can be shown through color grading and sound. Uh, pause to say I'm not sure about that. Like there's some awakening things. I think we need mm-hmm. some CGI. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> weirdly, I can see it having the same vibe as Blade Runner 2049. Super colorful with its gritty undertone. That that I could kind of see. I guess uh, Blade yeah. Runner 2049 has the advantage of being like in 
set in like a futuristic world where that kind of griminess grittiness mixed with color makes sense i feel mm-hmm. like there were grimy parts to warbreaker but on the whole with it being fantasy it would have to be like much brighter i think the reason blade runner works for me is because you have all these bright like phony light colorful lights yeah. i mean it's, it's like a cyberpunk back, thing it's right like against the backdrop yeah, the of shit. like a yeah against the backdrop of like a dark awful world whereas dark and warbreaker rain. right whereas warbreaker is like a jungle like a tropical jungle so maybe so, also rainy actually <laughs> yeah i mean rainy sure but like in a completely different way yeah i don't actually recall it ever raining in warbreaker i don't recall them mentioning it offhand i feel like it must mm. have yeah i don't know I mean, everything was everything grew really well, so who knows? Mm. Uh, they say Sixth of the Dusk is a contender as well. I could see that being a very artsy film with a lot of oh, action would, and dark overtones. I would love that movie. That, yeah, I mean, Sixth that, of the Dusk would be good, and you could like even do it like as work. a yeah, yeah. Or, or, or but you could even do it like as a short film because yeah. it's a it's, it's not a that story. long. Yeah, I, I'm imagining like Predator, honestly. Mm. Although I don't think Arnold should be uh, six at the desk, but <laughs> yeah. uh, on the topic of Warbreaker, I think it gets overlooked a, a lot as homework of sorts for the Cosmere, which, in my opinion, it's an oversight on everyone's part. It's far from perfect, but it still has some interesting characters, themes and setting. Uh, as far as Mistborn Era 2, it's interesting. The series is called Wax and Wayne, where in the beginning, Wax is the hero, but Wayne is the hero at the end. Probably a coincidence, but still a cool detail. I like Era 1 more story-wise. The way all the pieces you don't really understand leave you hanging and then suddenly fall into place is amazing. But Era 2 has arguably more relatable characters. Vin is a work of art, and Sazed has one of the best arcs out of any Sanderson book, but I relate to Wax and Wayne more on a personal level. They feel like actual people in a sense. I think that's a product of having the conflict be Wax and Wayne against people they have a relationship with versus Vin and Kelsier against literal gods. Yeah, I I think we kind of agreed with that. Yeah, plus, like, Era 2 is much closer to our real-world setting, so it's like they've got problems that are more akin to what, you know, a regular person today will have. So like we don't exactly we, we don't exactly have to worry about, you know, slave-owning like sla- slave owning, um, emperors trying to, you know, stick us with spears. You don't have, you, you don't have that? Yeah. No, I can't say that I do. Yeah. Is that is that is that common in Texas? No. <laughs> no, 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 really. I mean... The blood fountains, though, all the time. Sure, we got those. <laughs> That's true. Big one in Austin, but mm, you know. I haven't seen it in the tourism guides. <laughs> oh, you won't. You won't. <laughs> it's, it's a surprise when you get there. Yeah, it's like, and here's our blood fountain. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, it, it, they wrap up saying, "My biggest gripe with this podcast is it's only weekly. I listen while at work, so I stop listening for four to five months and then get caught up in a week and have to wait again. Two uploads a week would be awesome, but I recognize it's not really possible with working and adulting." I've tried listening to other Sanderson podcasts, and I just can't get into them because the hosts annoy me, the pacing is weird, or they just don't have the same charisma as y'all do. Until the time of next, that's what's up, B. So. Oh, well, that was, uh, that was sweet, man. Appreciate that. Thanks for calling us charismatic. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's like the opposite of what everybody else calls me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, those are our emails. I'm going to save the, the last three for next time. Thank you, everyone who sent emails. This, those were fun. Uh, if anyone wants to send us an email, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon, where I have finally finished my reading of The Sunlit Man. It'll be a couple weeks at least before it, they finish posting on Patreon. So uh, if you're interested in hearing my initial reactions to that, go and check it out. Uh, 
spoiler I f- uh, for my reaction, not for the actual book. I, I, I was kind of mixed throughout some of the book, but by the end of it, I was getting into it. So I, by the end, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Interesting. Uh, it's got uh, it, it's got kind of um, I, I said that Tress had like a, a Princess Bride feel. This one, it, if anything, has maybe a Mad Max feel. Oh, okay. wow. Take that for what it's worth. Mm, interesting. Wait, wait, which which Mad Max? Because Mad Max 1 has a very different feel to, say, Fury Road. Well, yeah, that's true. I actually haven't seen Fury Road. I was just, I was thinking conceptually, maybe not specifically. Because you're right that Mad, the original Mad Max and Thunderdome are also have a, a, a kind of different feel. Yeah, and uh, Road Warrior. Yeah. In fact, they're all fairly unique, but the first, you're, you're one, not is wrong, def- yeah. the first one is definitely way different from the others. Mm. Um, I think probably, even though I haven't seen it, uh, given what I know of it, I think maybe Fury Road would be the closest. Interesting. Anybody else who's read The Sunlit Man, if you disagree with which Mad Max movie is the closest, feel free to let us know in the comments. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, let's do, since it came up, let's do a quick uh, Sanderson, a word of Brandon of the week. I think I have one more queued up and ready to go. And this is another one which I don't know how much y'all are going to be able to get out of it, but I found it interesting. So... What this person says is, can a copper mind, you guys remember copper mines? Those are where ferrochemists store knowledge. Can a copper mine be awakened? And Brandon says, this is possible. And the guy says, with the memories already in it? So he seems to be asking, like, could you awaken it? And then the awakened entity would have the memories that were stored in the copper mind. Oh, wow. And Brandon says, okay, that's going to be harder because those memories are keyed to someone else who by nature would not be the individual that the copper mine was made into. You would have to key those memories to who the metal mind was becoming. There'd be an extra step in there. It wouldn't just naturally be that way. We're talking wild, wild. These are possible, but far out stuff. So yeah, that's that one. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. But I mean, if you could do that, like somebody stores their memories and then you awaken it and make those memories. It's like, you could, what Dak theorized where like someone's like Nightblood had a person's personality somehow in it. Like that would be essentially what it was. It would be like, yeah, almost hmm. rebirthing this person as an object. Weird. That's like, uh, you know, I, whenever Brandon's response, like it makes me think of the person asking it. It's like a dumb and dumb. I'm always like, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay. No, that, 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 I just like that one. Cause it's weird and fun. So for next time, we're going to read two more chapters. That'll be chapters 14 and 15. Continuing, I think part two of this book, let's see, part one was like five episodes. Part two is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight episodes. Uh, the eighth episode moves into the interludes. but So it'll be a little longer than part one was, essentially. But yeah, two more chapters for next time. Chapters 14 and 15. If you're following along, read those. Thank you, everyone who's listening, everyone who sent emails, our patrons. You guys are all awesome. Music by Miracle of Sound. Two chapters for next time. And wasing to the time of next. Colo, P.S. Fasher. Crab at the Okay, Jamie, the people in Interlude 1, the three mysterious guys, Grump and Blunt and Thinker, what did you think? Did you recognize them? 
Yeah, look, prepare to be disappointed. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't quite sure, and I think so. I had a, a few problems in in reading it, and I was struggling with so many new words and places and things, and my headspace was not quite in it. But I didn't realise that there were three strangers. I thought that our friend who was like narrating it was one of the people. So oh. I've been realigned on that. But I was I was trying to think about the physical descriptions they gave and I like I assume we've got people kind of from different areas coming together. It doesn't sound like a group of people that we've already seen. So I was thinking about who we've seen world hopping already before. Mm-hmm. I thought one of them might have been from Elantris. So I was thinking that maybe Galadon could be could be one of them, but physically I'm not sure if he fits those descriptions or not. Okay. But Galadon, uh, I thought maybe someone from White Sand could have been in there, like the scar on the head. I was like, they they did some scarring, <laughs> but I couldn't remember who who might have been who, who'd want to look for Hoy. Like they definitely had researchers, but. I didn't think Kenton like fit the description necessarily, but he could have been like the non non um oh god, what's his what's he called? Like he was dark skinned but not quite as dark as the others. Yeah, and he wasn't yeah. like a lefty, like he's already spoken different languages. So I think my second vote is is Kenton, maybe. And the third one, don't ask me which one's which at this point, because <laughs> I'm just I'm just plucking names names out of anywhere really maybe someone from from Mistborn I don't know maybe we've got a terrace terrace person or or maybe maybe is it Naz who does all the maps and stuff pretty traveled yeah Yeah. there you go I'm gonna go with there my three I've got no idea (laughs) that was surprisingly close uh considering oh uh, you uh, you did get one right because our friend in in the story his name was Grump and he does most of the talking. He's uh, it, what what stands out is that he ends sentences with saying understand, which if you mm. look at it as if he was speaking uh, his own language, uh, it perhaps would, could be color. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that was Galadon. Good call. You oh, got that one. Cool. And then the second one was from White Sand. It wasn't uh, Thinker is the one who wasn't as dark skinned as the other two, but who's still kind of tan. And that it, that's not the one from White Sand. The other dark skinned guy is one of the like couple of dark skinned people that were major characters in White Sand. And it was uh, Bayon. Uh, okay. He just didn't because Bayon was quite muscular, wasn't he? Is he the the tall one? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the tall one in in this story. He's the yeah. tall one. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't Galadon tall? That's what uh, I think. Joe or Dak won. Yeah. Like, no, wasn't I, I Galadon pretty tall? I'm gonna have to go back now and look at the description when we meet Galadon for the first time because I don't actually remember. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I get the I feeling think, from this. I think that maybe he's, kind he's of short, taller than Raiden. Yeah, he's that just might taller be. than Raiden. That and might be Raiden. Okay. Just kind of short. Although, no, Raiden's pretty tall because Serene, it goes on and on in that book about how tall she is and how n- men are never tall enough. And then, like, Raiden's actually yeah, taller than her. And she's yeah. like, oh, this guy's tall enough for me. Oh, my gosh. Uh, let me see. When we meet him, oh, it takes a while before we even learn his name. Um, Maybe everybody in Roshar <clears throat> is just freakishly tall and so is Bayon. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, true. It says that uh, he's tall and firm framed with wide hands and keen eyes. So he's also tall. I guess maybe just Bayon is taller. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's all about it's, perspective. Right. It's, well, it's, it's saying Galadon is tall. It's not necessarily saying that he's taller, just that he is tall. Yeah. Mm. Okay, that's all right. And then the final right. person was, in fact, from Mistborn. And the only real clue we get there, as I pointed out to them last week, is that he has the scar on his scalp, which at the beginning of Hero of Ages, when we meet up with him again, we find out that, like, in the interval, this guy uh, has become a general and has gotten wounded in some battle, and he has a scar, and that is Damon. <gasps> oh, cool. Okay, that's an interesting set of people. Yeah, to be randomly here looking for Hoyd, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, my my only other <laughs> guess, which is probably because I misunderstood the assignment to begin with, uh, is it Ishik, the fisherman? Yeah. I reckon that's Hoyd. <laughs> that would be hilarious if they were looking yeah. for Hoyd and they hired this guy to find Hoyd. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. I have no idea where he is. Yeah. So I was like, yep, fools. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, the best twist ever. Yep. Well, I guess, yeah. it's, um, you know, depending on if they have – if if they if they're only being ordered to by let's let's assume Kelsey is in charge of these guys and he's ordered them to track Hoyd down, he might have only given them like a description or something. So they they could be looking right at him and not realize it. Could be. You're not wrong. Uh, and that was by another thing that came up last week is that Dak was theorizing that uh, because Demu was such a loyal follower of Kelsier that maybe these guys are here on orders from Kelsier and he part of his crew that we see in Era Two. Mm. Yeah, it would make sense. Cool. Okay, so I was off, but I was not like completely off. No, you were pretty idea. close. Yeah. Not bad. Okay. I mean, you I'll correctly pick picked the picked all the planets at least. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 